It's Wednesday, February 21st, 2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl 52 champions. The Flyers are now just three points out of first place. The Sixers are five games over 500 in the seventh playoff spot. And there are high hopes coming out of Clearwater for the Phillies. Yeah, it's a fun time on the Philly sports scene for sure, Bill. Since the Birds' Super Bowl win, the Flyers are 7-0-1, the Sixers are 5-0, and there's always a lot of good vibes when spring training begins in earnest down in Clearwater. Yeah, and, and I can tell you, I'm, I'm sure, I sure like going from the Eagles season and a couple weeks later right to talking spring training in the Phillies. No dog days of winter this year. Yeah, for sure, Bill. Enough chit-chat, though. Let's get to it, shall we? All right. Well, hey, as you say, we've got a busy show in front of us, and we've got two great guests. Let's roll and welcome our first guest, making his first visit to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, the radio voice of the Phillies, Larry Anderson. Welcome, L.A. Thank you. Thank you. How you guys doing? Doing all right. Hey, Larry, this is Chet. Great to see you every yeah. December at the event at the Majestic Clubhouse store, and uh, thanks much for joining right. us here. Let, let's get right to it. First things first, we have to ask you about your decision to further scale back your broadcasting duties. You'll be doing only home games now. Is Scott Fransky that tough to work with, Larry? No, it's really not. There was, <laughs> there's a couple reasons for it. He's, uh, he's great to work with for about 80 – well, I shouldn't say that. For, I mean, for me, for about 81 games – the the reason that that uh, this decision came down the way it did, and we've got three Kevin's filling in, is that my partner can only remember two names, <laughs> and that's L A and Kevin, and they couldn't get they couldn't get one of the Kevin's to work all eighty one road games with them, so they had to split it up, and that's the whole reason for it. Larry, I knew you would find some humor in the fact that they're replacing you on these road broadcasts with three guys all named Kevin. That that is pretty funny. T Mac actually made up T shirts. I don't I don't think those you have to get the Kevins know it, but they're T shirts. It's a, a microphone uh, down the middle of the shirt, and it said Philly's Radio, and then like a patch, like a name patch, is actually uh, uh, stenciled on the shirt that it says, "Hi, my name is Kevin." <laughs> it's only perfect. <laughs> I'm sure they'll enjoy that. Larry, even though you haven't been an active player for 23 or 24 years, is it still exciting to go down to Clearwater every February and March for spring training? Oh, yeah. Um, That's where you you get a chance to see the guys that you you just hear about. Or like last year, you know, I I paid pretty close attention to the guys I don't know, haven't even met, but I know the name. So to me, that's a real opportunity to see what's on the horizon, some of the young arms. Uh, coming along, and I think the Phils—they've uh, got a, a whole stock of young, uh, good young arms that uh, they're really excited about, and uh, I myself am too. And they're going to need them. I don't think there's any doubt. Well, hey, Larry, looking at that pitching staff, and you mentioned those young guys. There's a whole bunch of 23, 24 year olds, and uh, some of them have been up and have struggled and been back down, and they're bringing some more guys up, but. How long do you hang on to these guys and and let them develop? At at one point, do you just say, well, this guy doesn't have it? Or or do you let them get out there to 27, 28 and let them grow? I think it really comes down to a case-by-case scenario with each each player. Um, I know for myself, um, spent, you know, parts of 17 years in the major leagues, but I also spent nine and a half years in the minor leagues. 
And and that's mm-hmm. something that uh, I mean I think back in the day, like when I first came up, we had Triple A teams that could compete with some of the lower market teams in today's game. I think, um, and and I you had to because you only had twenty four teams, um, and and I think the competition was was tough to to break through. So you had you had a lot of guys that 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 I think today are in the big leagues. That would have been in AAA back then, um, but now mm-hmm. with 30 teams, the the you know market gets a little saturated, and and I I do think honestly think at times I don't think not exclusive to the Phillies, but all around baseball at times I I don't think the baseball is as good as it used to be, as far as not the, the players' ability, but the players' smarts, the uh, instincts, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, and, and I think there's a reason for it. We used to, you know, we were out outside playing all day, all the time, playing ball, something, doing something outside all the time. You don't see that anymore. You don't see kids going out till dark and, you know, riding their bikes home, which understandably so. It's a little different world today, too. But uh, mm-hmm. I think the players don't have those same instincts. And so I, I don't think we see as solid a brand of baseball all the way around as, as we used to. Certainly, oh, certainly tons of talent, certainly tons of talent with these young kids. They are bigger. I think they're just as fast, if not faster and stronger. But I don't think they have the same baseball IQ as players past did. Uh, I'm with you. My, my hey, opinion. No, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But hey, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the addition of Carlos Santana. He's a, he's a big, big sign, uh, a lot of money involved there, and if there's a, going to be a domino effect, it looks like. Uh, something's going to happen with Tommy Joseph. Reese Hoskins now looks like he's a permanent outfielder. Creates a little bit of a log jam out there. How, how do you see that all playing out? Well, it, it certainly is exactly what it does. It does create somewhat of a log jam, but I think it, it works itself out. It works its way out. Um, anytime you can bring in a guy like Santana, um, it, it's going to help everybody around him. Uh, obviously, it will create a, a, a log jam there, which I think that's a good thing, though. You know, the more talent you have to choose from, the bigger your talent pool, uh, the better chance you have of coming out with the guys you want and the guys that can help you get to the playoffs. And uh, But I think with Santana, I think a lot of it just is going to be um, how how he handles Michael Franco or how Michael Franco handles him or how they help each other. And if you're already seeing signs of that, um, you know, they've talked a lot. They've talked about workouts. Uh, Bronco's in better shape. And, and I think, you know, every little bit helps. And I, I think it's going to be a, a big uh, big year for Michael. Uh, one way or the other, he's going to have to show what he's capable of doing. But I think having a guy like Carlos Santana is really going to help him. I think it's going to help everybody in the lineup. Larry, Freddie Galvis is gone. J.P. Crawford takes over at shortstop. Is J.P. ready? Um, he's. He's not the glove that Freddie Gallus was, and I, I don't say that disparagingly about J.P. Crawford. I don't think anybody in the National League was as good as Freddie Galvis was. So um, having said that, uh, I think J.P. is certainly ready for the challenge. Um, but I don't – personally, I don't expect to see the same plays being made routinely um, that Freddie did. But, I, 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 you know, and again, it's not anything against J.P., I didn't see any other National League shortstop do the things I saw Freddie do. I was, I mean, it crushed me to see him go, especially with this young staff and especially with a young catcher. 
um, to, to up the middle is so important defensively, and defense is so important, and I think especially with these young pitchers. Um, but I, I'm not to say that he won't do the job. I, I, I have total faith in him. I thought he was tremendous when he came up last year playing at short or second or third. I thought he did a great job defensively. Um, we didn't get to see that much of him at short. Um, but I, I think it's uh, – I think they're going to lose a little bit defensively. But it, for any shortstop that comes in, I would say the same thing because that's how good I think Freddie was defensively. You mentioned the young catcher. You're referring to uh, Jorge Alfaro. I'm assuming he will be the starter, the guy who gets the bulk of the playing time. And then what, will, will Cameron Rupp be the backup or Andrew Knapper? Are they going to fight it out or what? I think they're going to fight it out. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't know who has the advantage there. Um, Knapp uh, you know, has done a good job. Uh, Rupp struggled a little bit offensively. But I think the one big thing is trying to get these guys to develop – as as game callers of controlling the game from behind the plate. And that takes a while. You, it's very rare that you see a kid come up and he's just taking them by the horns and, um, you know, making the right, calling the right pitches. And, and it really it comes down to the pitchers just have to trust him. And personally for me, it would be hard to put my trust in a guy that doesn't have as much experience as me. Um, and I think that's what, what they're dealing with. And that doesn't mean that he's not going to get better. He's not going to learn. I just, he's got a ways to go. And that's, I don't think anybody or anybody that thinks he doesn't, I think is fooling themselves. And that, that, that is probably, that's probably my biggest concern uh, going into the season, going in with a catcher with less experience than an experienced pitching staff. But um, mm-hmm. it's something uh, they're, they're going to work on it. They're going to, do everything they can. They're, they're working with them tirelessly every day on all kinds of uh, situations, scenarios, whether it's receiving, setting up. Um, there's no question his arm, and there's no question about his bat, his power. Um, as far as his bat goes, he's, you know, he's still got to learn how to hit, I think. And I, he had, I don't know what his numbers were last year. They weren't great in AAA. But when he came up in September, he did a really nice job. But it, yeah. I think you have to remember it's September. And I think that's important to remember that. Yeah. Right, Larry, I wanted to ask you about that Odubel Herrera. To me, he's he's one of those rare he, – he's a rare cat. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but he, he seems like the kind of guy that uh, has the ability to be a 300 hitter in the major leagues. He's only 25 years old. And those guys don't come around all the time. Uh, no. can he Can he mature into being that kind of hitter and not being uh, – being quite a bit of a rare cat? Um, I, I honestly, I'll tell you the truth. I said this, was it two, two years ago, coming into spring training two years ago. And I, I, I don't know if I've said it on the air. I think I might have, but I really believe that Odubel Herrera would win a batting title. I thought that then after the last two years, um, I haven't changed that, but my, the, the his ability to win a batting title, I think, is now dependent on his ability to control his head because mm-hmm. he can, he can just disappear for a couple of weeks and go, what, what is going on? But I mean, you know, there's no question that there's a lot of talent in this organization. There is some, and he certainly has it. He has the energy. It's something that I think, especially with young players, they have to learn that 
first of all, it's not a four and a half month season like the minor leagues. It's a six month season. And that's a huge difference, a huge mm-hmm. difference. Um, the, the travel coast to coast time changes, time zones. I mean, all, that all comes into play. And the guys that deal with that the best are, are the guys that, that come out on top. And I, I think that's one thing that the Kapler is bringing in is like, is very positive, uh, trying to make everything, make the player comfortable at every moment, at every uh, spot on the field, coming in the clubhouse, whatever it is. And, and I totally agree. I mean, you go to that ballpark and you're not excited about going to the ballpark. It, it's a battle. And, and I've, I've been there. I've, I've been like, I've been in situations where I do not want to go to the ball. I've been served papers at the ballpark for crying out loud. <laughs> and, and I know how that could, how that can, could mess with your head. But I think it's so important to have the right environment, have the right uh, things around you, the right influences around you to be the best you can be. And that it, it appears is what, you know, Gabe is trying to do with these guys, and, and they're buying into it. I've heard a lot of great uh, feedback from trainers, guys that work in a clubhouse, uh, people outside out of it. They, they look at and see what Kapler's doing, and, and there there's a lot of praise going around for him right now. Although I mentioned that to Gabe, and he goes, yeah, you got to remember, though, we haven't won a game yet. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. But it's a, he's, he's got a great right. perspective, I think. Uh, hey, Larry, a lot of lot of discussion up here early in spring training in the newspapers about that Jake Arrieta uh, possibly uh, discussing with the Phillies. Is are we in a position right now with this young team to spend a lot of money on a guy like him, or are we still a little bit away from that? I I, I think it's something that that certainly should be considered, but on our terms, obviously. Um, I, I think I was seeing six years and 140 to 160. Does that sound right? Somewhere in there is what yeah, you wanted to say. Um, yeah, that's what they're talking I, I just, about. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't – where we're at right now, I just – I think we'd be better served maybe two, three, three years at the most. And then, you know, if, if it costs you down the road and you want to keep him for two more years, well, then you'll have to pay him then too. So, but I just think right now to, to go out and spend, you know, $150, 160000000 million on a pitcher at 32 with their 30, you know, and, and there's no question he's one of the top pitchers in the game and he's done a great job for the Cubs. But how, you know, is that, is that consistency going to be there for five, six, seven years? And I think that's a real gamble on a pitcher, especially with the situation we're in right now. I think two or three years, I would be absolutely. But beyond that, I, I would, I would question about spending that kind of money for a pitcher right now. I'm with you. Me too. Hey, Larry, last week, uh, last week marked the 10th anniversary of that great prank that had Kyle Kendrick convinced he'd been traded to a Japanese team. Is it true that you were the culprit in terms of putting that in motion? Well, I, I actually. I did uh, a show for uh, ESPN, the magazine back in 90, 95, I believe. And uh, we had the whole club, the organization, the general manager, agents, all involved in sending Wayne Gomes to Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, He was our number one pick. And I was, it was my first year as a pitching coach and he kept messing with me. Like the, the pitchers would chart the game the day before they pitched. Well, I'd give him the pencil and the chart board and, the, the, and everything. Well, after the first pitch, he would always break the pencil and go, hey, the pencil broke. So I'd have to go in the clubhouse with <laughs> another pencil. And this kept going on. I'm like, you keep this up? I was like, I'm tired of it. I'm going to get you. 
And so we had it set up where we had a, a interviewer come in and a guy named James Chang who was actually Korean, but Bill Dange was our manager and, and laid it out as a, a Japanese film company was doing a documentary about baseball in the United States, minor league baseball and all this. And, and then, I mean, we got Wayne Gomes to where he was being traded. He was, his bags were packed. He was throwing his spikes to Larry Mitchell, his best friend on the team who was almost in tears and, I don't want your shoes, man. I just want you to be here. You know, and he had two days to get ready to leave to fly out to Japan. And it was only a one year thing and he would be back. And so, you know, and we were in a good position in, in uh, with that club in Reading uh, and we ended up winning the championship, but this was all part of it. We're like, you know, it's a tough time for you to go, but you know, you'll be back next year. And I mean, guys were, were crying. Guys were sad. <laughs> Wayne Gomes calls his mom. We, we got it on tape. He's calling his mom. He's like, yeah, mom, I got, I got traded to Japan to the, uh, he said, it, he said something like the Yakasuchi Massachusetts or something. He goes, it's Nomo's old team. And this is overall. And I am trying so hard to bite my tongue to not laugh. So, but yeah, we, we got him pretty good. We let it go for about an hour or so. And then, you know, basically I stood up and said, Hey, he's been great. And we're sorry to see him go. And, that as a matter of fact, he's not really going. I told him I'd mess with him if he kept messing with me, and then everybody was like, oh, such a relief. I mean, he had his bags packed. He was on his way. He was ready to go. So, oh, yeah. good stuff. you got to have well, fun. Well, hey, Larry, right? I, I, yeah. I, I was going to ask you as my final question before we get to our little quick Fast Five segment that, you know, it was about your pranks. Now, you've been known to have a good time at the ballpark a little bit. Is that your best prank ever, or if it's not, what was your best prank ever? Oh, I don't know if I have time for the whole prank. Uh, probably the best one was Joe Simpson, Richie Zisk, and myself in Chicago. Uh, we got in there um, in the afternoon. We had the next day off, or the, we had the night off. And so Renee Latchman was our manager. We were Seattle Mariners at the time. So Richie Zisk and Joe Simpson and I went and got – uh, 16 boxes of cherry jello and we got back to the hotel we put eight boxes in one toilet eight boxes in another toilet went and got the ice unloaded the ice machine made jello in both the latchman's toilets took all his mouthpiece out of his phone took all his lights out we took his mattress off his bed put it in the bathtub everything we could we did to that room <laughs> the next day he was he accused Tom Petrorek, who had been with us and got traded to the White Sox. And, he, you know, uh, Latch is talking to, to Petrorek before the game the next morning. And this this is a quote, but it was Latch like, I know it was either you or that other Polak. And he's talking about Richie Zisk. And Petrorek <laughs> goes, Latch, I swear it wasn't me. He said, from 11 to 11.02, I was with my wife. Because <laughs> he knew it was 11 o'clock. We pulled the alarm out of the uh, – out of the wall, and he goes. I mean, that's not quite how he said it, but you get my drift. Because oh, yeah. uh, Latch told him it was eleven o'clock. So he goes, no, no, from eleven. It was. It wasn't. Wasn't me. It couldn't have been. But Latch threatened us with FBI, uh, <laughs> uh, lie detectors, <laughs> fingerprints. He and when this went on the whole season, it. I, I had uh, letters made up, uh, papers made up in New York or in Baltimore on our way to New York. Uh, Latch said he had tapes. Dave Niehaus had tapes of us talking about it. And Niehaus knew who the, the, the uh, Jello Gate guy was. And, and uh, so we told Niehaus. And Niehaus was in on it with us. So after the game, Niehaus comes in the clubhouse. And Latch goes, Dave, give me that tape. 
and he just he has to shook his head and latch knew that the gig was up. <laughs> and he's like, those blankety blank blanks got a hold of you, didn't they? And he just went on. So I had papers made up, said Jello Gate tapes lost, latch baffled, and I posted those in the clubhouse in New York the next day. And it just it went on until our final team meeting and and our team party, and then we revealed ourselves. But uh, that was probably the best because it went on for a whole season. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, hey, Larry, we're running out of time uh, already, but we, we usually try no, well. to do a segment we call Fast Five uh, before right. we go. And, and uh, basically, Chad asks five pretty simple questions. You give five pretty simple answers. You up for that? Yep. All right. Fast Five with L.A. Keep your responses to 20 seconds or less. I have faith in you, Larry. Uh, the Phils won 66 and 96 last season, but did play close to 500 the second half. What is a realistic win total for the 2018 Phillies? Um, realistic, uh, I would say 81, 82 games, um, and that's. I think that's realistic. But I think the possibilities can extend 10 games either way. Yep, the over under seventy five and a half. I would take the over as well. Number yeah. two, tell us something. Tell us something about Scott Fransky that listeners probably don't know. Whew, man, <laughs> wait, this is a family show, right? Uh, okay, <laughs> so that um, that that he is probably the most improved golfer that I've been around in the last oh, few yeah. years. Yeah, <laughs> take that. A lot of people. Number three. Larry, if your 1983 Phillies played your 1993 Phillies, everyone having their abilities from those respective seasons, who wins a seven-game series? 93. Yeah, was that, probably was that right. quick enough? <laughs> yeah, that was good. Um, I, you I, know, I, I think 83 was, was lightning in a bottle. Uh, the team got hot at the right time. Um, Joe Morgan went off, and, and you know, everybody that the last six weeks, it just things just completely turned around. I don't think the Hall of Famers on that team, that's one thing. In their prime, if they were all together, different story. But where they right. were at that time, I would say 93. Got it. Number four, need to ask you about your hitting prowess, Larry. Five hits over your long career, good for a 132 average. Only one hit came as a Philly. What do you remember about that one hit in 1993? Uh, it started me off hitting 1,000. Um, <laughs> and then... Uh, but the, the, I think it was 89, I think I started off the year hitting 2,000. Um, I was two <laughs> for two before I ended up at 333. But I told Tony Gwynn, my career average is better than his because in my major league career, 11 of the years I spent in the uh, National League, and I got a hit in four of them. So <laughs> it, four for 11 is the way. 364. I, I don't know how you guys do it. Yeah, it's there part of the sabermetrics thing, the new analytics, yep. <laughs> and I'm trying to incorporate that into my own batting average. And it's working. Oh, I love it. And finally, L.A., for old time's sake, can you leave us with a shallow thought? A shallow thought. If the whole world is a stage, where's the audience sit? <laughs> there you go. That's, that's a good one. My favorite, what is the speed of dark? That was one of yours. What is this? I love that. That's, that's always yeah. a jump. That was one of yours, Larry. Um, yeah. The one that uh, I was I'm kind of most proud of because it had to, so much to do with baseball was when I came out with, why did they sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game when they're already there? 
<laughs> that is a great question. <laughs> great go. job, Larry. Thank you. Good job. All right. Well, guys. hey, Larry, Enjoy thanks it. for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. I will see you. Uh, I'll be down in Clearwater here in just another week or so, and uh, I'll be over at the ballpark. That sounds good. Very nice. I'll see you there. All right. All right. Thanks, Larry. Right, Take care. Bye bye. You got it, guys. Hey, as we told you last week, this is a big week for our friends at the Irish Rover Station House as they are celebrating their fifth anniversary at their Bellevue Avenue location in Langhorne. And they're doing so with a number of special events. That includes a big happy hour celebration Thursday, 5 to 7 p.m., featuring drink specials and giveaway items. Then Friday, 5 to 7, buy a Stella and you get to keep the chalice. And this just in, today, we heard that Friday night from 8 to 10, the Rover will host a 94 WIP Road to Victory Party with the Eagles' Vinnie Curry on hand to sign autographs and say hello to fans. That is Friday night at the Rover. Then on Saturday, Victory Brewing Company will be there with all sorts of giveaways. Saturday night, the band Well Strung takes the stage. For more details, visit the website irishroverstationhouse.com or just pop in. The Irish Rover is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne. And... Happy fifth. Oh, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. For a cheerful toast and fill it, happy anniversary. But be careful, you know. Very good. Take it away, Bill. Hey, hey Chet, uh, interesting stuff from L.A. Great, great guest, great, uh, great insight. I loved it. Yeah, L.A. is very entertaining, and I miss the shallow thoughts. He needs to bring those back and do them more often. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it start. He started out right on top with the uh, with the T Mac shirts and uh, finished with the shallow thoughts. It was good all the way through. And uh, you know, it sounds like uh, I, you know. And I think is he's certainly honest as we expected him to be. But uh, you know, I think the Phillies are going to be better. I think they're a little bit away, and you don't invest that uh, zillion dollars in Jake Arrieta right now. Yeah, you know, his numbers went down each of the last two years. He went from, what, 22 wins to 18 to 14. The ERA went up each of those years. He'll be 32 next month, so I'd be careful. You know, maybe if the price was right, a two- or three-year deal for not a ton of money, I'd consider it, but I wouldn't break the bank on him. No, and that, that money's not going to be – or those years aren't going to be that short. Somebody's going to pay him and break the bank, and uh, it doesn't need to be us, I don't think. It, fans might want you know, want the big name, but that's not the right thing to do, I don't think. No, I agree with you. So, Hey, Chet, uh, the Sixers coming out of the All-Star break, as we said, they're in seventh place, five games over 500. Your pick is still looking good at 30 and 25. There's 27 games to go. I'm excited to see how our next guest, the lineup season, is playing out. But what do you think? Well, you know what I think. They're a bona fide playoff team, barring any injuries to the key guys, a team that could steal around. They have 27 games left in the regular season, and of those 27 games, 17 are against teams that are currently under 500. So even if they go just 15 and 12 in those games, they're a 45-win team, and I think they'll be a little above that. So a lot to look forward to over these next two months. Yeah, it sure is, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, – you and I talked about this before, but uh, Joe LMB likes to talk no matter where he is, and uh, he was talking some noise at the All-Star game with his teammates, opponents. It didn't matter. He, uh, he likes to chat it up with everybody. Oh, he does. He does. And it was good to see him in the All-Star game. He played well. Looks like he had a great time. So, and he stayed healthy. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to these next couple of months with Joel and Ben and the guys.
Yeah. Hey, what did you think about the NBA? Uh, you know, I guess they upped the ante a little bit to try to make that game a little bit competitive. And, uh, you know, because they had all-star games, as we've talked about before, aren't always competitive. But uh, the winner got $100,000 per man and the loser got $25,000 per man. I don't think there's any losers in that game. No, and uh, the captains each got a big chunk of money for their charity, and, of course, the winning team got more. So I liked what they did. It was definitely more competitive. We actually saw a little defense being played. So uh, it was kind of good to see. It was a competitive game. I enjoyed it. I watched uh, pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, well, you know, for $100,000, it might make you have a little different outlook on things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, hey, um, we're waiting on D, right? We're still uh, D getting ready to call. Yeah, she's going to call in right now. Just text okay. her with her. She's got to well, call hey. in right now, so we're good. Okay. Hey, I wanted to ask you a lot of lot of rumblings about this LeBron James and Ben Simmons relationship, and and there, you know, it's talk radio. Anybody can talk and say anything, like we can. Uh, but what do you think about the rumbles of LeBron uh, having some interest in coming to Philly? It's definitely something that uh, a lot of people are talking about, and. We're going to ask Dee about that because, you know, she's on top of the situation. So we'll see what she has to say about it. I'm still not sold on the whole idea, whether I want it or not. But, hey, what the heck? Let's find out from Dee and, you know, get right to her and see what she has to say. All right. Let's do it. Let's welcome Dee Lynham back to the show. Is uh, Welcome, Dee, and happy birthday. Oh, wow. Thank you. We got to play <laughs> some golf today on this 76 degree weather, so it was fabulous. Oh my God, beautiful, yeah. Yeah, Dee, you know, I looked back uh, two years ago during your birthday week, you actually were joined by us, and that's the case again this year. It fell on Tuesday this time around, so a day after the fact. I want to say happy birthday. Is it like an annual event? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, maybe. We'll make it an annual event. I like it. (laughs) Dee, we were talking about that LeBron James fella. Is there any possibility of him coming to the Sixers this offseason? Well, I'm going to be honest that I'm of the strong belief that it's no, but I have talked to a number of people, and I do believe the truth is that nobody knows what he is going to do other than LeBron himself, and I think that's the way he likes it. Uh, I do believe he is a person who has a flair for the, I'm going to say dramatics, Uh, But he likes that part, you know. I mean, the decision didn't happen the way it unfolded when it did, you know, when he went to Miami. And then going back to Cleveland, I think there's a lot of people who didn't think he would ever do that. And there was so much water under the bridge. And Gilbert would never let him back. Uh, So, I, honest to God, I would say no. But with this guy, I, I guess I shouldn't rule anything out. Yeah, he likes to win. He, you know, he likes to follow around. He people does, but can, I, can I also say he he can go anywhere and win. Quite frankly, I mean, unless you go to Charlotte, where there's so much, you know, still to be done. But if he wants to bring one or somebody has somebody in place, like Dwayne Wade was in place, and you bring one other with you, I mean, he can win wherever he wants to go. Wait, well, Dave, we're uh, thirty and twenty-five. In seventh yep. place, in a playoff spot right now, 27 to go. How, how do you yep. see this playing out? Uh, I think you and Chet had uh, 
higher hopes than I did, and it looks like you guys are going to do uh, do better than I did on that. Yeah, but uh, they're going to do better than I predicted anyhow. Yeah, you said 30-90. Uh, I said 43 wins. So uh, yeah. I'm looking a little better. Uh, <laughs> and especially when you consider that you will get to a point where the teams that are not in it to be in the postseason and the number of them they will play, you know, they're going to start tanking. Uh, so, you know, that, that factors in as well. Uh, I do believe – I think they're going to end up being a four or five seed, personally. Yep, I'm with you. Four what are your impressions wow. of Ben Simmons? Uh, ben, he of the six triple-doubles here in his first NBA yeah. season. Could he be a perennial all-star? Can he be a perennial all-star? Well, he has to get his first, and then, then right. maybe become a perennial. I don't know. And he's got to make uh, some it, shots from the outside, too. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, look, six triple-doubles, Magic did it his rookie year. His numbers are similar to Magic's, honestly. I went back and looked at his rookie numbers. Magic scored a slightly more than what Ben does, um, and Magic had a jump shot, so his – but, you know, we don't factor that into a field goal percentage right now because – Everything Ben does, he does close to the rim. So um, perennial, he should be. I'm not. A, I'm not convinced that he will actually ever become a shooter. Uh, I don't see it in his current personality to think that it's a big deal to become a better shooter. That could change over time. Uh, I think the fact that he flirts with triple doubles is very. Uh, satisfying to him and I think he's perfectly okay with the way his game is currently constructed interesting very interesting that's a person just gauging by personality right sure well you you have your finger on the pulse no doubt about that but D, I I kind of I say this to Chet all the time I think this Sixers team is a better team when T.J. McConnell's getting a lot of minutes. And it seems like some nights he gets a lot, some nights he doesn't, but he seems like such a spark plug for this to make this team go. What do you think? Well, two things I would say. You are correct <laughs> uh, because I do believe that when you have a true point guard on the floor that they are constructed in a way that it benefits a lot of people. It benefits Ben, quite frankly. Uh, obviously, you have an Embiid. You have a Redick. Uh, and I think that TJ knows how to find people. Now, that's not to say take away, obviously, anything from Ben, because if you you know can do six triple-doubles, clearly he has an eye for you know seeing the floor. He's taller than everybody else. He loves to take it off the rim and run. But I think there is something to TJ in terms of running an offense when you can't just take it off the rim and have fast break points that is very beneficial to this group. Uh, And I laugh when I hear people on the radio say that he has no skill set. Please. They think he just does it on grit. It's not. That's not true. This guy, he's been coached. Excellent. You know, he's a son of a coach. And he sees the floor and he knows the game. So don't say he doesn't have a skill set. He does. 
and he definitely is more than, you know, some guy who, with his grit, comes off the bench and helps them be a better team. He actually knows how to run an offense, and I think it brings a different dimension because it allows you to post a Ben or have Ben be, you know, uh, a, a, a guy who's an option as opposed to the guy who takes it off the rim and runs a fast break. We are with you there. Speaking of guys getting minutes or not getting minutes, why doesn't Rashawn Holmes get more time? Is it just that Brett prefers what Amir Johnson gives them defensively? Well, I, I, I'm not going to give it prefers as much as I think there are things that Rashawn does um, that he could get away with in the past couple of years that were mistakes that you you don't have to you don't have to do it. And Amir, you don't need his offense, and that's one of the things that Rashawn does. He goes to the offensive glass. He's energy. He's great. But but Amir doesn't give you less. Amir gives you more defense, and he's in the right position. And Rashawn still makes some of those rookie mistakes because he's never been able to play a lot of minutes. And I think he would get better if he played more minutes. But you're kind of in a catch-22 and when you're trying to, you know, how many games separate four from eight? I think it's a game and a half. At this, you know, at this point, you're no longer just trying to – you're still trying to develop people. I'm not, I'm not taking that away from them. But your goal is bigger. You know, they, they want to get in the postseason, and they want to make some noise if they can, and they can in the Eastern Conference. So I think a, a lot of what holds Rashawn back – is the fact that Amir is more polished. People don't understand it. They don't want to hear it. But that is the truth, and you don't need a scorer out there. You need a guy who knows where to be defensively, to play with poise, to not make mistakes, and that's Amir. Hmm. Very good. Dave, uh, what's the mystery or what's the answer to the mystery of Markel Fultz? What is going on? Uh, Dee's not a good person to ask that because he has <laughs> never been, uh, I, I would never have given up a pick to trade up for him. And I said that a long time ago. I was in the gym when he worked out for the Sixers. He did not make a shot. I think wow. I went on a radio show and said, I think in a gym with no defense in front of me, I would have made a jump shot. I would have. <laughs> and he did not. And I still have wow. the video on my phone. Uh, and then they said, you know, well, he had traveled and he had been this and that. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, with an Embiid, you see a physical specimen. I get taking a chance on a guy like that. Uh, with a Ben Simmons, even though he couldn't shoot and his team, I was not a big fan of you can't get your team out of your conference tournament. You know, they need you and you get in foul trouble. I didn't like that. But he's 6'11 and has point guard skills. So I get that. Physically, what are you telling me that Markel Fultz had that somebody else didn't, that you would give up a pick and trade up for the guy? That I didn't understand. Um, And if you're asking, I don't – he obviously is not going to play this year. I don't care what they say as an organization. That is true. Yeah. I do believe that he should play in the summer league. Those guys coming off injuries in the past, Embiid, Simmons, those guys never did. 
Noel, he never did. This guy, you better roll him out there because the whole thing is attached to his head, whether they want to say it or not. Part of it is true. And you cannot think that he can just come into training camp next year and and be okay with he was the number one overall pick. He never had an injury that surgery could repair, and he never played a game. So to me, as an organization, he should be playing in the summer league in, in Las Vegas this summer. I could not agree more. Thanks, Steve. Uh, hey, I know you're still calling 87ers games. You do a couple of podcasts, and one of them <laughs> is called Details. I love the name. That's D-E-I-T-A-L-E-S. Get it? Details. Yeah. Uh, I listened yeah. to the one with your father, which was great. I checked out another one. Uh, tell us about Details and how people can find it. Oh, it's so fun. Um, so when I first started, I'm so glad you asked me about this. This is fun. Um, so when I first started, this is because people asked me to, and I thought, well, what can I do that's different? You know, I just, I don't want to just talk X's and O's every week. Um, but I know so many interesting people who are in basketball and, you know, whether like I had Mike Jensen who writes about basketball and did the incredible year of, you know, Philly hoops and went to Iceland uh, to see, you know, the guy who made, uh, what, what did they call that? South Philly. Oh, God, that's terrible. I should know this. From LaSalle. Anyhow, but that, I had Fratello on last week. I had John Gabriel, who's a former GM in the league. And I just think people like listening to inside stories, whether it's about a trade that didn't happen, why did it fail, and now that it's 20 years later, you're allowed to tell it that you couldn't tell at <laughs> yep. the time. So mm-hmm. I I really like people who are in the industry, like Matt Cord. I did one with him that is awesome yep. because the things that. that happen when you check into the game, he's the PA, obviously, the public address announcer for the Sixers, and when guys come to the table, the stories that happen are amazing, <laughs> you know? And I I just like those kind of things. So – Anyhow, it's on Wildfire Radio, but you can get it on iTunes. I know there's two other ways. I'm an Apple person, so I just tell all my friends, please go to iTunes and download it. Uh, But I have a good time with it. And uh, I've been fortunate that there are a number of people who who I've known, you know, in my life who are willing to come on and, and share some of their cool stories. So that's what I do. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, Dave, yes, I think we used up all of our time already. Uh, all right. Well, we'll we'll uh, talk on my birthday again next year. There you go. <laughs> not Happy sooner. birthday and uh, go Sixers. Thank you. Yes, I think uh, postseason for sure. And they, depending on their first round opponent, they could definitely see the second round as well. I'm Whatever with you. you Thanks, Dave. All right, you guys. Bye. Bye. Hey, Chet, uh, I know you're going to put me on the hot seat tonight. and uh, But before you do that, what did you think of the revelation today about that Ash, Al, Alshon Jeffrey playing the entire season with a torn rotator cuff for your Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, pretty interesting. Now, we knew something was wrong in the summer. They just said, uh, you know, shoulder soreness or whatever, and he didn't really get off to a great start. Now we know why. you got to give the guy credit, though. He didn't complain. He didn't miss – practice that often he played every game played hard and uh ended up winning the super bowl so kudos to alshon yeah really and and you know i guess i i 
don't remember ever really seeing him much on the injured list. Played through that thing, and uh, man, oh, hats off. I mean, guys getting hurt with you know nicks and ticks. That that's big time. Yep, he's a warrior. Now, staying with the Eagles now, we got the promotion in place. Mike Groh is now the offensive coordinator. Deuce Staley's the now running back's assistant head coach. Uh, you like that move? Yeah, I think it's great. They found a way to promote both guys and presumably make both of them happy. Everybody close to the team speaks very highly of both uh, Mike Groh and Deuce Staley. So I, I think it's awesome that they'll be both sticking around with a new title and presumably you know, some more money. So uh, good for both of them. Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I guess the natural sentiment is Duke's, uh, Deuce has been here as a player and, and a coach for now three head coaches, that it should have automatically been his job but uh, as, the, as the OC. But, you know, maybe this works out a little better. He's going to get a lot more responsibility, and uh, Deuce is going to land in this league in a high position. So uh, just yep. not this time around. I'm with you. All right, Bill, it's right. time. It's time for you to go in the hot seat as we go to our Season 2 premiere of Random Q2. You ready for that? Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> you don't sound ready, but okay. For those who may not remember... For those who may not remember from a year ago, how could you forget? Random Q2 is a 10-show experiment in which I will ask Bill two little questions. The first question will be about a sports topic, something timely usually, while the second question will be one of 10 random questions that have already been written down about, well, whatever. Bill will pick a number from 1 to 10 each week, and that will be the week's second question. We'll limit the segment to two minutes, so nice and tidy all for fun here we go number one bill the winter olympics are winding down other than hockey what is your favorite winter olympic sporting event to watch uh something i really like but unfortunately i haven't got to see much this year with a lot of other stuff going on is i really like speed skating um Hmm. very competitive those guys are good guys and gals are good um I like that, and I like the uh, the giant ski jumping. Also, I'm not I'm not big into that snowboard jumping and all that, but the uh, I got a new respect when we went to Lake Placid this summer, and uh, I got to go up on top of the ski jump, the Olympic ski jump. Man, that's high. <laughs> yeah, that's high. Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. I wouldn't do it. And, I wouldn't and do the, it. And the big ski jumping are are probably my favorites. All right. And for your second question this week, Bill, you know the drill. I need you to pick a number, any number, from 1 to 10. 1. You did the same thing last year. You went with number 1 in the first week, so interesting. Uh, All right. There's a reason for that. Okay. Question number 1 on my list. Going back to the mid-1970s, I guess it would be, what was your very first car? A Rambler. It was mm. a uh, 1969 Rambler that I got in 1976. One of them little white, uh, white little cars that uh, got me to and from school until I was able to graduate, and uh, and I moved away when I graduated and bought a, you know, when they used to have those custom conversion vans, bought a, a semi-conversion van. That was the first one I bought by myself. Uh, but, a, but a 69 Rambler that my parents helped me buy so I could uh, go through school. Well, I got mine in 1975, and it was a 1970 Ford Falcon, a used green 70 Ford Falcon. There you go. Yeah. That's they it. Random Q2. Like each other back, back then. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, that's it. Week one. Stuff. I, 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 I think I might have got a pretty good grade this week, but we'll see how we. You do did. You did fine. You did fine. Hey, it's mid-February, Chet. Oh, no. I'm getting ahead of myself. You're on a roll. Great guest with L.A. and D. tonight. Uh, surprise me with who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week. Because you've already well, we're gonna talk a... that you've got a whole load of guests lined up, but you don't ever tell me who they are. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to talk a lot of Phillies baseball for the entire next six weeks, in addition to other stuff. Uh, next week, we will talk Phillies baseball, though, with Steve Potter. Steve Potter is the author of the second annual Phillies Minor League Digest, which has pretty much everything you need to know about the state of the Phillies minor league system. Steve will give us the lowdown on guys like Scott Kingery, Adam Hazley, Mickey Moniak, Dylan Cousins, and pitcher uh, Sixto Sanchez, as well as sort of, you know, what sort of an upside he sees in names like Reese Hoskins, J.P. Crawford, Jorge Alfaro, and others as he's watched these guys over the last, uh, you know, three or four years. So that'll be Steve Potter joining us live next week. We will likely have a second guest as well, but that is not firmed up as yet, so I'm not going to announce it. And yes, Bill, we will have week two of random Q2 and other surprises as well. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know Steve Potter. I've never heard of him, but I'm excited to hear from him because uh, the Phillies farm system is supposed to be in really good shape. And uh, I'd I'd like to get some more of those names going forward, some that have come up and some that uh, are going to come up. I'm kind of excited about that. That's good. Yeah, some people say Mickey Moniak might end up being a bust. We'll see if uh, Steve Potter agrees or, you know, hopefully not. And, you know, is Dylan Cousins going to make it or not? And how good is Sixto Sanchez? A lot of questions to ask Steve Potter next week. Yes, there is. Well, hey, uh, you know, the thing, I, the thing about Moniak is he's still only about 19 years old, so it's far too early to give up the uh, ghost on yeah. him for sure. Yep. All right. Hey, Chet, uh, as I was starting to say, it's mid-February, so I know you're now interested in the Red Hot Flyers. They're now just three points out of first place in the Metropolitan Division. That's right, three points out of first place, not out of the playoffs, out of first place, goalie injuries and all. They're really fun to watch. Yeah, that they are, and they're playing well. Like the Eagles, they seem to have that next-man-up mentality. They lose their top two goalies, for crying out loud, and rookie Alex Lyon steps right in, gets a win Sunday in relief, and then another victory in overtime Tuesday night. Oscar Lindblom gets called up after the Wayne Simmons injury. Played pretty well Tuesday night, too, in his return. Nolan Patrick's getting better and better as the season goes along. Jake Voracek getting hot. He's coming on strong, he, and uh, he says they don't want to just get into the playoffs. They want to win the Metropolitan Division and you know see what they can do. They've got a shot, too. And we've talked previously about Giroux and Couturier both having terrific seasons. So it is exciting. And, yes, I am watching more Flyers hockey than usual for early or mid-February. Boy, I like the, I like the way you're talking. And, and another name <laughs> to throw out there, I was just reading today, is that Shane Gossespierre, 46 points in 53 games. Uh, certainly a career high for him. He's playing much better. Um, the defense is playing a little better. And, I, and I'll tell you what, I thought the goaltender last night, uh, he made one eh, probably overplayed a puck and left the net open, gave up a goal. But he, he's just a young kid. And, uh, you know, they made a trade, and they've got this, I'm going to say it's Mrazbeck, Mrazic, uh from the Red Wings, who their intention is bring him in and play him quite a bit. He's a veteran in the NHL. But, uh uh, I hope there's a competition here. Yeah, Peter Morazic, uh 
had a bit of an off year last year, but his numbers the previous couple of years weren't bad. This year, not too bad, over 500, and uh, he's likely to get the start Thursday night. I would think he will get the bulk of the playing time, but you know, Alex Lyon did look pretty good Tuesday night, so maybe it'll be more of a 50-50 split. We shall see. So it's going to be fun to watch those guys as well as all the young guys offensively and in defense, see what they do in the playoff rush here. Yep, and, and the kids are getting better. Uh, Nolan Patrick, they, they continue to say night in and night out how much better he's playing since he came back from that uh, concussion injury and that his game, you know, you just watch him every night. You see how much more he's improving and, uh, and how much better he's getting. So really exciting for the Flyers to be up where they are. And, uh, you know, they're only three points out, That's and there's Pittsburgh's in between them and uh, Washington. There's pl- still time. Why not? Yes, yeah, 7-0, 7-0-1 in their last eight games. They had that one overtime or shootout loss, but uh, playing pretty well ever since the Super Bowl. So winning is contagious, my friend. Well, I was just going to ask you that. Uh, are you buying into that theory that uh, be bold as uh, the Phillies are touting down in Clearwater? Uh, Gabe Kapler is, and the Sixers and Flyers are winning. You, you buying into everybody's got Eagles fever? Hey, why not? You know, we had Joe Valley on with us two weeks ago, and he's the one who first said that winning is contagious. That was three days after the Super Bowl, the day before the parade. He said, you know, we might see a little carryover to the other teams, and boy, we sure have. And I hope it does carry over to the Phillies. Gabe Kapler is certainly sending a positive message. We'll see if it does pan out. I mean, it's they haven't even played their first spring training game yet, but uh, he is a positive guy. He brought they brought Jason Kelsey down. Kelsey asked to do it, and everybody seemed to enjoy what Kelsey had to say last Friday. I guess it was. So I'm sure that was fun listening to number 62 talk in the Phillies locker room down in Clearwater. Um, I don't know. Who knows? Uh, I'm with Larry Anderson, though. I would take the over on that 75 and a half. I think they're going to win at least 80 and, you know, at least make things interesting going into September. I don't know if they're going to make the postseason as a wild card team or whatever, but I think they're going to still be in the hunt come September 1st. Big difference that we've got to see how it plays out. Obviously, that pitching staff last year, other than Aaron Noel, was, was all over the place. Uh, yeah, we didn't get Bobby to talk a whole lot. With, is... We ahead. didn't get to talk a whole lot with Larry about that, but you know, Ikoff and Velasquez, they've got some answers, or they've got to show some ability after last year because they all struggled. Uh, those number two, three, four, five guys. So hopefully they'll come up big here in 2018. Well, and what I was going to say is your man Bob McClure is no longer here. Uh, so we've got new Not eyes. Not my man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, one of your favorites, along with goaltenders. Yeah. Uh, so we'll <laughs> yeah. see. I mean, we, we got new eyes. we got new guys looking over things. Uh, hopefully these young guys. You know, you had a guy like Adam Morgan who, who couldn't get anybody out as a starter. He goes down to the minors. He comes back as a reliever, pitched pretty well as a reliever. So maybe you've got a guy like that and a new set of eyes in the organization to find spots for these guys. And, uh, you know, maybe they can win some games. Otherwise, you know, the pitching staff's got a lot to prove to me. Absolutely. We'll talk more about that over the next month. We sure will. All right, Mr. Chesko, you have a parting shot because I do not tonight. Yes. 
It doesn't happen often, but every once in a while you think about someone's life story and you say, man, that would make a great movie. Well, someone had that idea very recently about a guy that we got to know pretty well through his 11 years as a Philadelphia Eagle. Movie producer and Philadelphia native Mike Tollin plans to tell the fascinating story of former Birds long snapper John Dorenboss on the silver screen. And it absolutely makes sense. Just think about it. A football team's long snapper is typically among the most forgettable guys on the squad, but not in the case of Doran Boss, who did his job and did it well for the Eagles from 2006 through 2016. We got to know him through his long tenure in that role, through his outgoing personality, and of course through his magic, which he performed at area clubs and on television shows such as Ellen and America's Got Talent. But there's so much more to John's story. As a 12-year-old kid in suburban Seattle, he witnessed his father beat John's mother to death with a power tool, a tragic event that resulted in the youngster having to live in a foster home before he was adopted by an aunt and uncle. His love of magic helped him cope with the emotional strain left from the tragedy. There's also the story of a marriage gone sour, a second marriage last June, and the fact that the trade of Doran Boss from the Eagles to the New Orleans Saints two months later just may have saved his life because a routine physical led to the discovery of an aortic aneurysm, which required open-heart surgery. It is quite a story, and it's all true. should be a great movie. Yeah, can't wait to see it. Uh, it's really cool they're going to do that. I'm sure you put a little Hollywood in it, and uh, it's already a great story. It's going to be even better. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, hey, with that, Chet, we've reached the top of the hour, so let's thank our special guests, Larry Anderson and D. Lynham, both outstanding Yes, Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, February 28th at 7 p.m. when Steve Potter joins us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Radio or on iTunes, Stitcher, Tune in and mix cloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl 52 champions.